They want to be optometrists. They want to be practice owners. They just want their practice to be a little different than it is now, or in some cases, a lot different. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to treat dry eye. Oh, I'm going to treat binocular dysfunction. You have to invest. There's a, a strategy and a right path to implementing a specialty. Thank you for visiting the Dare to Be Different podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Fish, Bethany Fishbane. She is the CEO of Power Practice and a longtime friend. I'm very excited about interviewing her because not only has she been in private practice, we've both been uh, Power Practice clients, and now she actually runs that whole consulting firm. So Bethany, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I, you have a beautiful private practice. Before we talk about your role as a consultant and CEO, I'd love the audience to hear how you grew your practice to where it is today. Sure. We actually um, opened our practice cold in 2001. I had been working in another practice. Uh, my husband, Jonathan, who you know, is also an optometrist. And he and I were both working in really good practices where we saw a lot of things that we wanted to emulate and also saw some things that we knew that we would do differently. Um, And so as we started to think about what we wanted out of life, we decided to open our own practice. Um, We opened initially in Somerset, New Jersey in 2001. Um, It was literally a cold start. Like, you know, we used to high five after every phone call. And if someone was a family of three, it was really exciting because that would double our patient volume for the day or the week. Um, And by taking care of patients the way we'd want ourselves to be taken care of, we grew that practice um, and ultimately grew out of our space and moved about six years ago to um, our new location. Um, We've uh, added some associate ODs in that time who right. last year became our partners. So we've got partners in the practice. And about a year and a half ago, um, we bought a practice from a doctor who is retiring. So we continue to expand. Yeah, you're certainly entrepreneurial. Tell us a, a little bit about the practice that you expanded upon six years ago, because you were nice enough to invite me I have never seen such a beautiful practice. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there was even a fireplace. Is there in the reception room? Yes, there is a fireplace. (laughs) So cozy, so beautiful, so tastefully done. How many square foot is it? How many exam rooms? Just so the, the audience could kind of visualize how you and your husband and now your partners have developed this practice. Yeah. So, um, at the time before we moved into this space, We had our initial location, which was 1,500 square feet. We had bought a practice from a couple, an OD couple who were retiring and moving to Florida. And they were in, I think, about 1,200 square feet, a mile and a half away. Okay. Um, And at that time, we knew we were looking for bigger space. So buying their practice was kind of a way to just grow before we were going to be in the new space. So uh, the practice... Uh, location that we're in now is 4,500 square feet. Um, It does have a fireplace. And Mm -hmm. it was my partner who actually uh, came up with the inspiration. There was a coffee shop she used to like to go to in her hometown. 
And as we started to think about what we wanted patients to feel and see, she she said, did you ever go to this coffee shop? And I said, no. And uh, we met there. And just the colors, there were warm colors, a very relaxed vibe. And we got the feeling of what we wanted and then just started to build on it. And as we went to different businesses, not not doctor's offices, but restaurants. Um, I think the fireplace idea was from a hotel lobby that I wow. saw and I liked sure. and Pinterest, you know, um, we just started to plug ideas in to figure out what felt right in the space. Wow. And how many uh, exam rooms do you have? Give us a feel of how large this is and, and how many ODs are able to see patients at one time. Uh, right now we have seven exam rooms. We did six for a long time and had an extra room that was an office and we converted a storage room to be the office so we could get that extra exam room. And most days we have three optometrists seeing patients uh, wow. at the same time. So that is a tremendous accomplishment, uh, doing that professionally, training the staff. I, I basically, I know very intimately how, what a big challenge that is. So, and concomitantly, you also have been coaching power practice clients for over a decade, I think, correct? Yeah. Yep. Sure have. And that's where I'd like to focus upon if it's okay with you. Sure. I want to, I want the audience to hear since you've worked with so many optometrists and ODs, what is their number one request from you when they call and inquire about seeking a consultant and you specifically work with them, what are their needs? What, what, what do they express to you? Do they want more money, more time with family? What, what are their needs? So probably the most common thing that we hear is that they want things to be better or I want to take it to the next level. Okay. And at the point they make that call, they don't even necessarily know what that is. So you're asking, is it more money? Is it more time with family? And is it, you know, something different? And I would guess that clients when they're first reaching out would say, yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds okay. good. Okay. It's kind of this feeling that I have this practice. I want it to deliver more for me than it's doing. And whether they've been moderately successful, um, or sometimes really successful. It's delivered everything. I'm, I've grown it. This is amazing. And I still feel that I could be happier. Something could be better. So as we drill down, um, a lot of what it comes down to, especially for a practice that already has some financial success, is I want to be happier at work. Okay. I have it. It's working. But I don't like this part of it. I don't love what I'm doing day to day. I want to enjoy it. Sometimes it's money. Um, but when it's money, it's always money for something else. Like very few people want money for the sake of being money. Like you remember back in the day, everybody was chasing the million dollar practice. That's right? exactly right. Gross. Yep. Right. Why a million? Well, you know, isn't that like the thing? A million? Yeah. So right. sometimes people do it for the sake of that. They're like, all right, I hit three. How do I hit four? How do I hit right, five, right, seven, right. ten? Um, but sometimes it's they have a, a specific goal. You know, they want to send their kids through college and grad school debt-free. They want to have their spouse not to have to work. Um, some, but a lot of it is just about 
satisfaction at work. I'm making the money. Um, I'm seeing the patients. I have a nice business and I want to enjoy it. I want to get better at the things that I'm weak at. I want to challenge myself further. And that looks a little bit different for everyone. And and do they expect you to do that for them? You know, sometimes when I speak to people, they think, okay, I hired a consultant and they will fix my practice. How how often do you meet with them? And how do you gently kind of steer them? Like, listen, we're the guidelines, we're the goalposts, we're gonna <laughs> give you the strategies, but it's up to you to take action. Am I correct in saying that? I think it depends on the level that someone comes in at. So I think that someone who comes in because there is a big problem that they need fixed, whether it's a financial problem, a staff problem, or something like that, yes, we encounter that for sure, where they say, okay, I've made this decision, I've hired you, so I've made this big action to fix the problem, and then 24 hours later, is it fixed yet? Did you do it? And so those are the ones that need some learning as to what the role of a consultant is in the practice, what we can do and and what we don't do. Practices that are successful already and looking for that good to great or great to elite, they know already that they're going to do the work and they're looking for that coaching, that that guidance. Can we set the bar higher? You know, help me with strategy. That thought partner. Yep. Yep. And and so we don't see it that much. But um, when there's when there's a problem that they've they've identified something is wrong, those tend to be the the doctors looking for a quicker fix. Understandably. And how often do you usually meet with your clients? So once we get into a cadence with them, um, we have a scheduled meeting with our clients once a month. And we're often talking in between via text and email, just, you know, you know, in practice, things come up all the right, time right. that kind of threaten to derail you. And so when you have someone that you can ask those questions to, or, hey, what do you think? You, it's nice. And you you want to reach out. Um, in the beginning, when we're working with a new client, there's a lot of fact finding and we're sure. probably speaking to them once a week every couple of days just as we're gathering all the information and getting ready to go out and visit their practice. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's uh, a task in itself getting their financials from them getting the specifics so you can analyze their practice. Do they have common needs that you kind of group people in? When I speak to our colleagues a lot of times it's staff always hear that my I need staff, I can't get staff, I can't keep staff. And also cash flow is always a big problem. I'm busy, but I'm not keeping a lot of money or I'm not busy and I don't know how to get busier. Is there a common theme amongst your clients? Sure. And I think those are probably the two biggest. Um, right. You know, cash flow, as you said, I want to be making more and I, I need to improve that. Staff, yes, there's the... Um, the detail issue of it's hard to find people, not as many people apply to an ad, blah, blah, blah. But it's also the the leadership issue and the, the management. Right. Issue. And we spend a lot of time in there because a client or, or any doctor who has been absolutely unsuccessful with every staff member who's right. ever worked there right. for six right. years, I, 
I gently will tell a client, you know, the thing that all of those people have in common is that you hired and trained them or you hired the person who hired and trained them, right? Right. So a lot of the work we end up doing, and it's not necessarily what people ask for when they come in, but because almost inevitably the owner is standing in the way of her own problems or his own problems, there's some self-improvement work that has to happen in looking at how to be a better leader, how to better manage your staff. And as the practice grows to a certain level, how to uh, build and strengthen the structure underneath you so that someone else or the system, something else, can continue to run your practice at a successful level when you're at the point where you want to decrease your own involvement. Yeah, that's a very good point. I remember 20 plus years ago, the staff that quit, I was happy. I said, good riddance. And then I probably fired 90% of the rest and rehired saying, this time I'm going to do it perfectly. And as you know, I was the problem. I was the common denominator because it makes sense as, as health professionals, we know how to care for patients and we pretty good at it. Some of us very good at it, but nobody teaches us how to be a leader. And it's something you really have to work at. You have to really work at if you want a happy staff, because I've learned I'm only as happy as my saddest staff member. You've heard that about kids, right? You're only as happy as your saddest child. Well, I have to tell you, I spend more time at the office than I do uh, at home. And I'm only as happy as the staff member who's the saddest in my office. And I've had to learn to really be sensitive to that and address that. Yeah. So, and it's not a natural, it's not no. a natural skill for everyone. And it it is something that even people who have strong, natural leadership qualities still need to learn because it's different when you're the owner, you have a right. responsibility for the whole team for sure. Right. Right. And the more I read, you're right. It's something that I don't think it's innate ability. I think it's something that you have to study and practice And the more I learn, it's not the typical picture of leaders that you would think this person who she has these natural, powerful abilities. Sometimes it is being vulnerable with your staff and honest with your staff or or raising your staff up by uh, training them and sending them out for training or, or finding out what they value most in their lives and trying to help them fulfill that so they stay with you. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're, you're coaching someone, let's say about a year, things probably you get a good jump in the beginning. Am I correct in saying that there, there's a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of novelty. And then I'm assuming like all of us, their enthusiasm wanes. What gets in the way from them taking action? Good question. It, it can be a number of things. I, you know, sometimes, um, there's definitely that in, that enthusiasm in the beginning. Sure, right? It's right. all new and interesting and right. you just made this decision and this commitment and you're all in. It's like, you know, starting a diet the first two weeks are easy. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. One of the things that happens is that sometimes, just like starting a diet, the results take a little bit longer to show. That's right. So in some practices, we 
we can find, and, and we always try to find some quick wins that are just little That's things right. that are going to tell the practice, look, you can do this, you can make change. Well, look at that. We did it. More money. Those are easy. But as you get into the tougher work, it's it's planting seeds and it's laying framework. You know, you obviously you see it in the myopia um, arena that somebody in a brand new practice, sometimes that second and third time yep. you're talking about this, it's much easier than the first time when the Absolutely. patient is hearing this yep. for the, you know, yep. they've never heard of this before. So I think one thing that gets people is that I'm doing it. I did it. I'm not, but I'm not seeing any results. And it takes some time. You drop an insurance plan and you've got to give the 90 days notice. And then you've got to, you know, by the time you feel the impact of that, it's it's four months later. And so you've right. got to be able to stick with it. So that's one. And the second thing I think that gets in the way is the whirlwind of practice and personal life. Um, you can go into your practice with best intentions to right. make something change. And your key staff person gives their notice that day. Right. Somebody else twists their ankle in your parking lot. And then your server is down. And anything that you were planning for that day and probably the two days after is gone. Right. And so it's so easy to get caught up in that because every single day there's something varying magnitude. It's not always the giving notice and the sprained ankle in the parking sure, lot, sure. you know, but it can be something, it, it can be even positive distraction, you know, Hey, a rep is coming in and they, they're going to bring lunch, but they didn't decide. So we need you to decide. And all of a sudden your half hour that you right, had right. your time is dealing with what kind of sushi people want. And so um, it, it helps. One of the, the roles that I find we serve a lot is helping keep those most important things at the top of the priority list. Forefront. Yep. Exactly. Because we're talking about them because as outsiders, we're not involved in somebody's day-to-day -day whirlwind. Right. So we're sympathetic. We're all practice owners. So we get it. It's not... Um, Oh yeah, I'm sure that that's not really all that difficult to deal with. We know how difficult it is. And at the same time, you told us that these are the things that you want to get to and you want to do it in this timeline. How can we manage everything else going on? Is there someone else that we can delegate to? Is there somebody that we can give some training to be able to support you in this? Let's take the steps to help you create that time. Right. And that's that's how we go around it. So you keep things at the forefront. You keep your clients um, accountable sure. because it's like anything else. You know, if I know I'm going to meet with you in a month or a week, or you're going to check up on me in a week, I'm going to work towards having a result that I promised you. Whereas if I don't have that accountability, then I may let it slip and let, like you said, life get in the way because we all deal with life issues. And yeah. the other, the book, I don't know if you've read, uh, it's called Atomic, Ham Atomic Habits by James mm -hmm. Clear. And I'm he midway through it right now. What's that? That's, that's what I'm reading at this yeah. moment. And he talks about the valley of disappointment. And I always talk about that when I speak, because you're right, we commit to something and we implement change and we expect a linear 
increase in improvement in whatever we decided to change upon. But we all know it rarely happens. You get this valley this of disappointment where most people quit. But if they keep sticking to these little changes that you have kind of uh, obligated them to, that eventually it will pay off. But most people, once they hit that valley, they use as an excuse to say it's not working. Right. Yeah. I think the other uh, thing that that having having somebody does is it gives some perspective. So you know, you will be in that valley sometime. Yes. Yeah. And when you're in it, and and I'm, I know the feeling, right? When I'm in it, it feels like this is everything, That's you know, it, it, it could be a half a day of patience, cancel your schedule falls apart, or it could be a big bill you weren't expecting comes in, you know, whatever it is, it right. feels like this is it, this is the end. And so having the perspective of this is, this is normal, right? right. Life throws you curveballs sometimes, Always. especially when you're dealing with the public, you're in a service industry, which we are, and you can't control those. And it's, it's like cliche, right? You can't control those. What you can control is how you are going to react to those. No doubt. And so instead of that, woe is me, this is the end, it's okay. <laughs> Weren't expecting that. That happened. Take a minute. Let's freak out about it. And, you know, you got to have that five minutes. And, rah, 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 I can't believe sure, she did that to sure. me. Okay, she did. Now what? Right. And so it pulls you out of the mud into that plane where you can look forward. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I always tell my kids, life is never as good as it seems in the moment and never as terrible. Neither one is permanent, you know, finite. You know, we always expect we'll be, should always be this happy or we'll never get out of this funk. But the reality is, like you said, do the pity party, realize this is just life and just put on your big girl, big boy pants and move forward, you know? Yeah. How about the superstars? Get me in the mindset of some people that you coach and they're able to run with it. They must have a different mindset where you're like, you talk to your colleagues and say, oh my God, this practice, she is like unbelievable. She's taken everything we've given her and she's run with it. Is there a mindset of that type of OD? Yes. Okay. And what is their mindset like? What are their belief systems? I th One of the big common threads is that they enjoy growing the business right? for the sake of growing the business. Like that's, that's what's fun. So sometimes it's competitive. I want to have the biggest in my town, my state. Sometimes it's just the, the challenge of self, self improvement. I want to be better. I want to be better. I'm never not, I'm never satisfied, but the growing the business side and seeing how far can we take this for them is fun. And that's a, a whole different animal in a good way to work with. Right. Because it's not a situation where they've opened a practice because they 
don't want someone else to have control over their schedule. So they want control over their own schedule, which right. you can get, but you you give a lot to get that, right? Sure, so yeah. yeah, sure. You have control over your own schedule, but you also have control over all your own bills and <laughs> your staff yeah. and all this other stuff you have to manage. Um, and so these are the ones that say, I want to open a business because I, you know, I see how much money I'm making for my employer. I see how I've improved my employer's right. practice. Right. I started this program that grew their practice $200,000. And I, I want to keep doing it, but I want to do it for me. Right, right. So I think that's the mindset going in. So do they ever run into problems with um, balance? These, I know I have, where you're super motivated, you're trying to have an elite practice, and then you sit back and you say, I'm wondering if I'm the best dad or mom that I can be, or the best uh, parent that I could be, or the best business woman or gentleman that I can be. Do they? Do you ever run into that where they're struggling? They reach these financial targets, and then say to you, Bethany, I'm burning out, or you know, it's 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 not as much fun as it was at one time. Yeah, I mean, I run into that every morning when I look in the mirror, right? <laughs> you know, to give so much to right. work means you're taking it, and the the solution sometimes is then you don't take away the challenge, but the challenge changes. So I've worked, I've built this amazing, successful practice, but I feel like I'm not being the best mom I can. Okay. So new challenge instead of growth for the next 12 months, like top line growth, because that's just for, for fun, right? Let's see how, how far back we can cut your own hours while still maintaining the level of your practice. Got it. And so it's got all the ingredients that get them jazzed up, right? The the competition, the the metrics, I can measure the progress. You know, I'm working towards a goal. I'll know when I've achieved it. It's just instead of let's make this bigger, it's let's make the challenge. You're going to keep making the same amount of money. I don't know that we can do it and make you more. Maybe we can, but I'm not promising that. But can we get you making more on 32 hours a week instead of 40. Okay. That was easy. How about 28? Can yeah. we get you those four weeks off? How about six? And so the, the vision shifts where maybe three years ago, the vision was all about the type of business you were going to have. And now for the next three years, when you think three years ahead, you've got the business and now the vision is about how your role in it is going to change in a way that makes you happy. And, and then we work towards that. Do they have fear in following through? So I'm assuming you're going to now work on quality of patients as opposed to quantity or mm -hmm. something to that effect. Does fear get in the way a lot of times where they, you're telling them, let's try dropping an insurance, closing a Saturday that would exponentially probably improve the quality of their lives, but they're afraid to do that. Do you encounter that? And if so, how do you overcome that apprehension? It does less so in these elite practice owners. So you okay. asked what else about their mindset. And I would say that something else in common about their mindset is that they are less afraid or more unafraid 
to make decisions. Because that's the whole advantage of our industry of being small business owners, truly small, is that you can make a change and implement it within an hour in a lot that's of right. cases. You decide you don't want to be open Saturdays. You take a look at your schedule. You see the, the one where you're not fully booked and you put it on the calendar and we're not booking anymore. And that took seconds, right? So they understand that they can make a change measure the results. Some of them are going to work. Some of them aren't. Most of the time, they, over time, have learned to make good decisions. So they know the odds are it, it will. Um, but yeah, anytime you make a change, there's always a degree of fear. Right. What if it's the wrong decision? What if sure. it doesn't work? But we're small business owners. So if it doesn't work, you, you go back. Um, right. It doesn't happen that often, but if you close your Saturdays and it tanks your business and all of a sudden you're failing, this is you know not, not what happens, but if it does, then you open them. And so we, we ask clients often to present change to staff in that way. We're going to close Saturdays for the summer right? and see what happens. We decided we're going to be open every other Saturday through the end of the year and see what happens. Right. And so that if it does, if it works, great. You say, we're going to keep going with this. If it doesn't, you say, okay, we did that for the summer. Here's what we gained. Here's what we lost. Um, we may or may not do it next summer, but for now it's September and we're back to normal. So you you say you basically are reminding them none of this is permanent, right? We we make this change. The worst that can happen in a year, we realize it didn't work the way we had hoped, and we can just go back. We're small businesses. That's the advantages of being a small business. Right. Yeah. It doesn't work. You go back or you do something else. Yeah. You try something different. Right. Yep. If you have the big, if you have the end game in mind, which is, I don't want to work Saturdays and I don't want to see, you know, 20, 30, 40 patients a day. If I can see half that many and still make the same income, boy, I'd enjoy my practice a lot more. Right. And that's you and and me too. That's a lot of people. Um, and there are some that say, I am never happier in my practice than the days I'm doing 24, 25, 30 exams. And I would rather work three of those and have four days off than spread those people out over four or five days. And, and that's, fine. that's their goal. And that's yeah. fine. Exactly. Yeah. How about FOMO, fear of missing out? Do you run into that where you have an OD saying, uh, Bethany, I heard myopia management's in, I got to do uh, orthokeratology, or now presbyopia is in, you know, there's presbyopia management. Should I be prescribing Vuity? How do I do that? Do you run into that ADD, that attention deficit doctor that wants to kind of not miss out on anything? Yes. And it's a blessing and a curse. Yes. A blessing when someone has that because they keep up with what's going on. They're aware. They're okay. speaking to their colleagues. They're looking online. They're always looking for the next opportunity. Wow. And any of these opportunities can help them, right? So should I do myopia? I, I know it'll help my practice. Sure. Should I do sclerals? Those will also help my practice. Absolutely. Should I do more medical? Sure. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It'll all help. And then it's, 
working to kind of distill down which aligns with clinically what they love to do, what they can do or want to learn to do really right, well, what right, they make right. money doing, right? But the, in that way, FOMO is a good thing. They don't ever want an opportunity to pass them by with them, without them at least having the chance to evaluate and see if it's for them. The other side of it, and we see it a lot, is that because so much of people's interaction now with other optometrists yes. is not personal connections. Right. It's through a Online. post somewhere with a lot yeah. of answers. So you're getting a ton of advice from strangers. And you don't even know if it's good advice. You know, that's the right. danger of it. Yeah. You don't know if it's good advice. If it is good advice, you don't know if it's good advice for you. Absolutely. Right. So it can be terrible advice. It can be great advice for a larger practice, but you have a small practice or for a an urban practice, but you have a rural practice. So something that we see is that doctors get so much information and it's there's a bias there because the people reporting it online are reporting it because it works. Or the other thing that gets me a little cuckoo is they're reporting it online because if somebody tells the company they referred them, there's something in it for them without disclosing that. So that happens too, right? Sure. But these doctors are getting so much information that especially when they're either in trouble, like they're in a bad situation or they're inexperienced, they don't know what to do. And there's so much out there that they are they they end up not doing anything. Right. And so there's a um, analysis paralysis that yes. occurs. I could go any of these twelve directions. The great ones have to think they can go all twelve and have to be reined in because we know they can. They know That's it inside right. too. That's right? right. Pick one and do it right. 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 But the other ones, there's there's. 12 and and maybe there's a 13th or a 14th. I'm just going to sit on Facebook and wait to see if it shows up and, and they do nothing. Right. And at the same time become frustrated and discouraged and start feeling like they're failing because everybody else is obviously so successful with all these things. And that we see that as a problem for um, especially newer in practice doctors, but, but not exclusively. Yeah. You know, I talk about the book, the pumpkin plan, and I don't know if you've read that, but they, they mentioned that weak entrepreneurs always seek out opportunities, but oftentimes more often than not their distractions, it's the strong entrepreneurs who know to focus on one niche, which brings them the biggest return on investment of their time and effort. But in this day and age of Facebook and so many groups, it's very easy to become distracted because Bethany is doing, like you said, sclerals and Nick is doing ortho K and someone else is doing the neural lens and someone else is killing it with billion coding that they end up, you know, having diminishing returns and they really don't prosper in any of those. So yeah. that that's a that's a new concept, especially in this virtual world. Yeah, oh. and I'm a, a big pumpkin plan fan, and um, my clients have heard me recommend it and talk about it, and yeah. uh, talk about it on the podcast. But 
um, that's that's exactly it, right? So th- yeah. it's either so much I can't make a decision, I'm not going to do anything, or I'm going to try to do 5% everything. of everything. Yeah. And these days, especially, it's not it's not without investment to do these things. So it's, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to treat dry eye. Oh, I'm going to treat binocular That's right. dysfunction. That's true. You have to invest. You have to invest time and money. Right? right. And then there's, there's a, a strategy and a right path to implementing a specialty, regardless of what the specialty is that ensures that you get bang for your buck. And it's got to be something that you love. That's right. Don't like working with children because they're noisy and they, they, you know, have snotty noses, then yeah, sure. Could a VT practice be profitable? Yep. Absolutely. Could it help your bottom line? Sure. Are you going to love it? No. No. Yeah. And it's not like it's the only thing. There's always something that will give that alignment between all the circles of something you love to do, something you're good at, and something that generates the uh, money to allow you to do it more. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. One of the stories I'd like you to share with the listeners is when a business owner comes to you and says, listen, I'm tired. I've been on this treadmill for a while. I'm ready to sell. Help me get my practice ready to sell to either private equity or to another OD or whatever the case may be. Do you have clients that are relatively young and just have out had enough of the rat race? Yeah, I think and because, they, go ahead. And they want to sell. They want to get yeah. out. Does that happen? Sure. I think especially because the private equity conversation is so front and center now That's right. that That's when they are on these groups or in meetings or at a, at a conference, you know, this one sold and got this big payday and it's, exactly. it's really created a um, very romanticized yes. version of 100%. what selling your business could be. So where before we weren't always thinking about how to get out um, now when you have a bad day or you have a bad yeah. week or you, you just, you've had enough, it's like right there. It right. feels much easier than it ever was. That fantasy is there. Not the That's reality. right. Yes. And when we get those calls, people are burned out for different reasons, but very rarely is it, I don't want to be an optometrist anymore or even... <laughs> I don't want to own a practice anymore. It's not even, it's not those, which is ironic, right? Because you'd think somebody coming to saying, I want to sell my practice doesn't want to own a practice. When we ask, especially if someone comes in and they're 67 years old and I'm thinking about selling my practice, that's a, you know, I'm at the end of my career. I'm ready. Okay. When somebody is 40s or early 50s that comes in and says, I want to sell my practice. Before I say, okay, we can help you with that. I'm saying, why? Like, why are you feeling like that? And there's almost always something in the practice that has become their job, their responsibility that they wish wasn't. It makes them miserable. And it's, it's different for some than others, right? Sometimes right. it's the patients. 
right? I'm just so tired of seeing patients. They all need things. Uh, um, as an owner, though, there's a different way out of that. You can then start to look for an associate to see some of the patients and sure. spend more admin time. Um, sometimes it's the admin stuff. I don't mind seeing my patients, but I got to come in and this one's late and I have to deal with this and this and this. There's all these problems of the practice and they feel like whatever their thing is that they're doing way too much of, that's what has them burnt out. And when you take them to the next step, this was a story you told me about one particular client. What do they uh, fantasize about when I finally get rid of this albatross, because I've been there where I have a high grossing practice. And from the outside in, it looks very successful. But the reality is the net nowhere matched the amount of effort we were putting in. And I was there several times where I was just burnt out. When clients say to you, no, I'm ready, Bethany, I'm going to get out. I'm sure you ask them, okay, Nick, what are you going to do at 40 or 50 or 60 even years old? Are you going to travel? Why don't we set up a life where you travel now? What do they usually say? Do they open a separate business? What is in their mind? Yeah. So sometimes they want to do something else, right? Sometimes they want to live out of state, travel, own an RV, spend time with their grandkids. Fine. Um, Sometimes they're young and they're in a position to do that. But the thing that makes me laugh and cringe at the same time is that the most common answer when I have these conversations and I ask them, okay, you know, you're going to have to work with them a couple of years, then what are you going to do? Almost always their answer is I might open a practice 15 miles away and just do whatever the pieces are that they love. I might open a practice 15 miles away, a small practice and just do myopia. I might open a practice and, and just like a, not all this crazy medical stuff, just like boutique optical. And so they want to be optometrists. They want to be practice owners. They just want their practice to be a little different than it is now, or in some cases, a lot different. And in their minds, it is easier to sell their entire business that they've built and start over than make changes to what they have now. And, and I get it, right? Because there's there's momentum and there's inertia and things that you have to sure. overcome to take a large multi-doctor practice and make it into a small boutique optical you're going to have to have a lot of hard conversations with staff, with patients. Why don't you, you know, right. it's, it's hard, but the difference in investment of that versus just starting over is like, is, you've got a, a running head start. And it's like, well, we talked about the staff, you're taking yourself with you. And that's unfortunate because in your mind, you may say, I can do it right the second time. But the reality is we are the problem oftentimes. And what I love about power practice, and I I mean that sincerely in working with people like yourself, is you try to get us out of the forest and look at the trees and say, Nick, you know, yeah, this, this is not a great spot, but we can work towards this specialty practice in baby steps while you're enjoying your life. I always tell people when you sell, why not sell it to yourself, create a practice 
that's generating enough revenue to provide you the lifestyle that you want, including hours away from the office, including financial rewards and rewards within the practice. You know, seeing patients who just want to see you, it's possible, but it takes consistent work. And like you said, initially, it's not immediate. You may have to just be patient. You'll have to be patient and you'll have to stumble. But there's a, there's a, there's a beauty in having a small business because we do have that flexibility. And if you follow a roadmap, you'll get there instead of feeling, okay, I'm going to travel. I don't know how long you could travel for, right? But why not travel while you have your practice and set it up where you could do that? Because sooner or later, you're going to get bored. And you're going to have to do something. And like you just stated, a lot of times, what do we know? We know optometry and we get this entrepreneurial seizure and say, I'm going to do it better next time. And the reality is, I don't think that's the case. I really don't. Right. And maybe, maybe you will, but it's not without significant effort and stress to do that too. And, and, you know, I, I know some people who have actually done it, who have sold, made a different decision, a different geography, here's what I want, and they've gone after it, and they've created that. So it's it's not that it can't be done. Right. Um, but the, the idea you mentioned of sell it to yourself is, is kind of amazing if you think about it. And sure. that's part of strategy we work is if you sold your practice to an entity, what would they do to improve it, right? If you have an associate in your practice, they want to buy it. Okay, cool. Let's ha- let's go out to dinner. What would you do with it? Right. And why can't you do the things that someone else who's going to manage your practice, quote, more successfully would do? And then you'll do those and you'll be managing your practice more successfully and on we go. So it's... um it's an interesting time for optometry. It's an interesting time for business owners with this looming um, out option, like this this large yeah, like opt out button. Yeah, I, I love the word you use, fantasy, because I think there was a few reasons you said people post online because of their experience or maybe because of industry supporting them. But sometimes we like to hear ourselves speak, right? And we have no basis for giving recommendations. I see that in the myopia management realm where I live this every day and I see so much advice and a lot of it is bad advice. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering if this person, is that really their experience or do they want to just hear themselves speak? So that's a dangerous thing for a young or middle-aged OD to kind of fantasize how it would be if they followed this person's online's advice, where, like you said, there's no in-person interaction, not professional. So I, I think, uh, I think the key is, I know the key is because I've lived it, is make a commitment to change your practice, and make sure that it fulfills what you want in life, and just have the courage to do it. It's certainly possible. It just needs faith and and stumbling and getting up and keep moving forward. And professional advice, not just people online. We tell our kids, don't listen to, you know, it's a virtual world. It's not, it's not based on reality, what we're looking at, right? On any yeah. of these social media groups. Yeah. And just like we haven't had a whole lot of leadership training 
Um, we haven't had business owner training, most optometrists. So people find themselves in the seat of a business owner with significant investment. You know, the cost to open a practice now are $400,000 plus for a lot of people. They're signing, they're personally guaranteeing those loans. And day one, they step into a role that they have never been in before. Right. And it's hard to even imagine how to start to put a value on some training in that realm to be good at that Um, or where you're not yet good at it to have someone who's been there before. So no argument for me on the professional advice. I'm a yeah. fan. And and tell us a little bit about your podcast because I've been on it. I listen to it. It's weekly. And you have the experts like CPAs and attorneys and all sorts of experts that kind of give us tips and, and hints on how to take our practice. Can you give us a little bit about information on that? Yeah, it's called uh, Power Hour Optometry Podcasts, and you can find it on Spotify and Apple and all the places that you would go to listen to podcasts or uh, through our website, powerpractice.com. And the majority of our listeners are practice owners, some future hopeful practice owners, some students. Um, And the guests that I have, or if it's just me, it's things that are going to help a practice owner in all different realms, whether it's just inspiration, whether it's learning from someone outside the industry. Um, We have one coming up in the next few weeks on what optometrists can learn from fine dining restaurants. And our guest is a a trainer um, from a fine dining restaurant and the parallels are amazing. Sometimes it's actual nuts and bolts, financial information. Here's how to understand your PL. Um, and then some of the issues that people are dealing with in a changing world as practice owners. How do we deal with compliance in different categories? Right. How do we be a great place to work for today's employees? How do we be a great place to visit for today's patients? So um, it's a lot of content. It's something that I went into very reluctantly. Um, I had no intents of hosting that podcast and it just kind of ended up that way. But the ability to have conversations with people that I would never get to talk to and be in a role where I can ask whatever I want and they think, okay, that's my job because I'm hosting the podcast. My The biggest compliment that I get is when someone says, yeah, I was listening. And just as soon as a question popped into my head, I would ask it. So like, as, as soon as a question popped into the listener's head, they would hear me ask it. And that's what I aim to do is it's not possible for every practice owner to be in every one of these conversations all the time. Um, And I hope that I can bring that opportunity to be in those conversations vicariously by being in them myself on the podcast, which, which I've really come to enjoy. Well, and, and how about if someone wanted to inquire if it's a right fit to be a client of power practice, how do they get in touch with you or power practice in general? Yeah. So you can always connect with me on LinkedIn um, or my email is drfishbane at powerpractice.com. But if you're 
thinking about practice consulting and want to start to look at which of the many more than there ever have been practice management companies are the right fit for you. Um, You can go on our website. The phone number is there. You can fill out an online form. One of our coaches will contact you and have that conversation because you, you said, Nick, right fit. And that's, that's important because we, we have clients we work with for years, years. And, you know, you asked when I started this and, and I'm looking back and my first ever client still is a client. Like once you're, you're getting that, you, you, you want to keep going. So having the philosophy that matches yours about business, sometimes about life, what goals should be having no specific financial interest in one company or another. And that's something that's come up more recently in consulting, but, you know, sure. Free consulting by the, somebody who is having their paycheck signed by a lens manufacturer. So Mm -hmm. that's lots of consulting on how to sell more of those lenses. Um, And just are the goals that you have and the mindset that you have towards those goals things that make you a good fit for us too. And so we do a a mutual kind of vetting conversation and then proceed from there. Yeah. And I can attest to it. I mean, for the listeners who you're listening to is Bethany and that's what you get. Someone who is honest to a fault, someone who deeply cares about her clients and optometry and gives really good advice in an empathetic manner. And that's why I wanted you to hear her. There's no fluff around her, right? It's someone who's very experienced, walks her talk in private practice and family and everything else. So I encourage you at least to inquire to see if power practice is the right fit for you. So Bethany, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This was great. Uh, you're soft-spoken, but I know you carry a very big stick and you've you've uh, accomplished so much. And, 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 and personally, I was so happy to see you as CEO because I really do know how much of yourself you've given to power practice through the year. So thank you so much for being on today. Oh, thank you again for the chance. And thank you for saying all those it's nice true. things. And ah, very, very yeah, nice. It's thank very you. true. It's so true and so sincere. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Dare to be Different podcast. Until next time, remember, it's your practice, your life, your way. Have a great day.